All right, ladies, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, so glad you guys are here on this really brisk morning. I don't know uh, if any of you park outside of your garage. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I do not, thankfully, but um, I heard from someone this morning that had to take ice off their windshield. Like, where do we live? <laughs> My goodness. Um, but I'm so glad that you're here. So this morning, if you looked in your notebooks and you saw your schedule, it says Sarah Demarest is coming to teach, but she is not. Uh, as Janet explained last time, today's going to be Omri, which he's going to come. I've seen him, so he's here. I know that. Um, Omri is going to teach this morning on prayer, which I'm super excited about. This is a brand new lesson um, for us, so I'm super excited to hear what he has to say. Um, but before he comes up, Lori Hantlett is going to come up. And you guys probably remember Lori. She came and taught before. She does Saturday Wellspring. Um, and she's going to just talk to us about those books that were out there. So if you didn't grab one of these, you can grab one or I can bring you one. Um, they're prayer books that have been passed out in the past. So you might have one. Um, if you have one, that's great. If you want to grab one just for today to like follow along, that's fine too. Um, they're really cute. You could take one and give it to, I don't know, your daughter or your mom or your friend or whatever. Um, that would be fine. So let me open up in a word of prayer and then Lori's going to come on up. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful morning. Thank you for uh, waking us up and making the sun rise and giving us life again. That is a blessing. And we are here today because of you. Um, and we are here to bring you glory. And I pray that we do just that. Thank you for Lori and thank you for Omri and the time that they have spent preparing for this morning. And um, I think this morning about all the ladies who aren't able to be here due to sickness or new babies or whatever the situation may be, um, I just pray that you would bring them back when they're able, um, that we would reach out to them, let them know that they are loved and missed. Father, I pray that this morning we listen with hearts that um, are teachable, hearts that want to grow and change, um, because we know we all have a long way to go to be more like you. Uh, we love you, Lord, in your name, amen. Is this on? It is. Okay, thanks. Hi, it's good to be back. So, as we know, Wellspring is a ministry um, for us women of Grace Bible Church with the purpose of accomplishing two things, right? First, we get to get lots of equipping. And next, we get to get lots of encouraging. Why? Well, so that we are better able to do one vital thing, and that is to shepherd our hearts toward Jesus Christ with the Word of God. Sounds familiar, right? And in turn, what will that produce? Well, that'll have very many significant effects. Um, we get to be strengthened, our homes get to be strengthened, and the body gets to be strengthened. And today's lesson is all about prayer. So before Omri comes up to teach us, I'd like to talk about prayer, but I want to talk about it from the viewpoint of the Wellspring purpose and the Wellspring um, disciplines and our Wellspring verse. So please turn over your binders and follow along, and let's start with our verse. And let's remember that to keep, to guard, 
to watch over our hearts with all diligence, with all vigilance, and above all else. We do that, but why do we do that? Because it is the wellspring of life. And ladies, let's never forget that the way we live affects our heart, right? The way we live affects our heart, and conversely, our heart affects the way we live. So that's why we must guard our heart. So that leads to an obvious question. Does the condition of our prayer life affect or impact the way we guard our heart? Does it? Does guarding our hearts include guarding our prayer lives with all vigilance? Does it? Yes. J.C. Ryle wrote about this. He cautions us to watch our habits of prayer with holy watchfulness. Watch our habits of prayer with holy watchfulness. And when we think about our prayer lives, let's think of the disciplines in mind, starting with discipline one. We can see that prayer is a significant part of shepherding our hearts worshipfully toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. You know, as we praise God in prayer, we're expressing worship to him, right? We're expressing our desire for him. We're thanking him for who he is and what he does. We're thanking him for his word and for his promises, for his spirit, for his provision, and for his protection. And finally, discipline one means that we take our hearts to him in prayer and we ask him to reveal any unconfessed sin that we have in our lives. And then we confess and, and we repent as we remember sin's offensiveness to God, sin's power to entangle us, right? His danger, sin's deceptiveness. Let's look at discipline two. Our prayer life is a vital part of the way we pray. That's how we can minister to those in our home, right? As we pray. As we pray for their specific needs, as we pray for spiritual growth, as we pray for their salvation, as we pray for relationships, as we pray for the specific activities of the day, that's ministry in our home. And finally, considering discipline three, our prayer life certainly is a fundamental part of the way we can minister to each other at GBC, right? We can pray for those who are sick. We can pray for marriages. We can pray for families. We can pray for those we know who are struggling financially or struggling spiritually. We can pray even, and we should pray for those who have gone through church discipline. But ladies, we must have a plan to pray, right? Or, or we just won't do it. Listen to what John Piper says about this. In his book, Desiring God, he says, why do God's children so often fail to have consistent habits of happy, fruitful prayer? 
Unless I'm badly mistaken, one of the reasons is not so much we don't want to, but that we don't plan to. If you want to take a four-week vacation, you don't just get up one summer morning and say, hey, let's, get, let's go, right? You won't have anything ready. You won't know where to go. Nothing has been planned. But that's how many of us treat prayer. We get up day after day and realize that significant times of prayer should be part of our life, but nothing is ready. We don't know where to go. Nothing's been planned. No time, no place, no procedure. We all know that the opposite of planning is not a wonderful flow of deep, spontaneous experience of prayer. We know that. The opposite of planning is the same old rut. See, if you don't plan a vacation, you probably will just stay home, right? Just watch TV. The natural, unplanned flow of spiritual life sinks to the lowest ebb of vitality. Piper says there's a race to be won. There's a fought to be fight, to be fought. There's a fight to be fought. If you want renewal in your prayer life, you must plan to see it. Therefore, my simple exhortation is this. Take time this very day to rethink our priorities, how prayer fits in, make some new resolve, try some new venture with God, set a time, set a place, choose a portion of scripture to guide you. Don't be tyrannized by the busyness of the day. We all need mid-course corrections. Make this day a day of turning to prayer for the glory of God and for the fullness of your joy. Ladies, whether your prayer life is rich and full of vitality or it needs a bit of work, I'd like to bring to your attention today an equipping tool that you might enjoy using this year or maybe dusting it off and using it again if your prayer life has become a bit stale or routine. And that's this Wellspring prayer booklet. Now, as Melissa said, they're out front. And if you have one at home, you know, you can use that. But we are going to use this. So if you don't have one right now, please grab one so you can just follow along. Now, while its focus is our prayer life, it also contains a variety of tools and resources designed to help us grow in our walk with Jesus. And some of these tools are a recap of previous Wellspring lessons, um, and some are full of heart-shepherding equipping. For instance, repentance on pages 56 and 57, towards the back. And then there's preparing for temptation, found on page 58. Now, I won't go through every page with you here, but I want to highlight a few things. So let's look on pages 6 and 7. And you'll see a sample prayer to pray as you meet with God in his word. Now, you're familiar with that one. We discussed that one in a previous lesson. On pages 8 through 9, um, you have scripture for a prayerful approach to God's word. I want you to notice on page 9, 
um, the second bold there. It says, other ways to prepare your heart to come before God in his word and in prayer. So one of the suggestions you see there is to read through or prayer or pray through a section of the gospel primer. And that is this one. It looks like this. Omri, do we have these? We should have some. If you don't have one, you may want to pick one up. This is designed to help you preach the gospel to yourself every day. And then another book you see uh, recommended there is Valley of Vision. We uh, have it. This looks like this. And then we also have in the um, leather, which is very nice. And Valley of Vision is a collection of Puritan prayers and devotions. So if you need a format to help you use a text of scripture in your prayer so you can pray the scripture and you're not familiar with that, look at pages 10 and 11, and you can look through that, praying through scripture, and then you get to practice on pages 11 through 14. Now, if you want a two-week structure or a system that'll help you pray each day of the week, you can see pages 15 through 45. So this two-week format, it's the same format. It starts with praising God, battling sin, etc. But then added to that are different prayer focuses each day of the week. I like that. So on Sundays, you're praying for your small group and other ministries. On Mondays, you're praying for evangelism, for work, for school. On Tuesdays, you're praying for the government, for world affairs, for persecuted believers around the world. And let's turn to page 23, that's the Wednesdays. You're praying, praying for a worldwide ministry, gospel ministry. You see there, Team PNG. Um, I'm glad that, so my old version didn't have the Twombly's, so I'm glad that it is mentioned there, Twombly's. Um, they are going to be there in March. So for church planting, you have Genoa, Italy, you have Massimo and Susanna, but I think it would be great if you would just pencil in right there the Gilbert Bible Church plant. We want to make sure to be praying for them. And then the New Orleans Church plant. We want to make sure that we're praying for them as well. On Thursdays, you're praying for various needs. On Fridays, extended family. And then on Saturday, page 29, you're praying for your elders. Um, do you see it down there at the bottom? Pray for elders. Well, you might not be quite sure, especially those of you who are new, who our elders all are. So I've written their names on the board here. And you can find their names also on the little bulletin that we get every week. But a really cool thing to do is you go to the Grace Bible Church website, and you scroll down under elder slash pastor, and there you see a photo of each of our elders, so you can get their picture, their name, and then a bio of each of them. And that is very helpful. Um, one time my husband and I just prayed through each elder every day and they have their family members there and that is such a helpful resource so I encourage you to go there and look ladies there's so much more equipping and encouraging in this booklet here and I won't take time 
to go through all of it now, but let's go back to page 15. I'd like to call your attention to the fourth paragraph on page 15. It says, um, however you use it, the aim is to help you increasingly incorporate the truth of God's word in how you approach God in prayer in both attitude and words. After using these pages to add your personal, to aid your personal prayer life for a while, you will likely find yourself incorporating truths from your own time in God's word into your prayer life. That's really cool. And on the bottom, you see the Colossians quote, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Ladies, that's why I like using this prayer book. Um, I don't use it all the time, but I do love using it because it's a tool that helps keep me alert in my prayers. It gives me a format to use, and that's very helpful. Now, we had meant to put in your homework, and it somehow didn't get put in there. Um, just if you would just put write down, spend time in the prayer book. I would love for you to do that. Spend time familiarizing yourself in this book over the next two weeks, and just write down something new or something useful to you that you would like to incorporate in your time of prayer. I think that'll be so beneficial. So thank you so much. I hope that this tool is useful for you. Um, Omri, come on up. Thank you. Thank you, Lori. That was a lot of helpful information. Um, and if anybody wants any of those books after Wellspring, I'm happy to help you. All right. Um, attendance is, from what I hear, pretty low this morning. Lots of people uh, saw what was scheduled to be taught and decided not to come. I'm kidding. People are, are sick and whatever else is going on, but... This is um, just a, a hard subject, is it not? I mean, I'm just going to trust that you feel your own weakness in this area. Uh, if you're like me, then you already know you don't pray enough. You don't pray uh, well enough. You don't pray often enough. Or for the things that, unfortunately, sometimes you tell people, I'm going to pray for that, and you forget or whatever. Um, this is a, a spiritual discipline that uh, we just struggle, and you know. Um, so as I thought about, you know, what to do for for this wellspring lesson, um, how to be a help and an encouragement to you, ladies. Uh, I thought rather than discussing the how of prayer or some particular method or when you do it, where you do it. I think that uh, those things we can we can figure out well enough, right? We we know how to pray well enough to pray more than we currently do. And so, what I want to do this morning is just sort of 
um, get some altitude under us and look at what is God aiming at in prayer. We have been given this gift of prayer from God. And if we know what God is doing in requiring this spiritual discipline of us, then perhaps you will pray more and you will be more eager to go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, In scheduled times, you'll be more eager to go to the Lord in prayer if you are on God's agenda and know this is what he's aiming at in prayer. Um, you'll, You'll go to him in scheduled times. You'll go to him informally uh, just when the occasion requires it and you find yourself in uh, some perplexing situation or faced with a new temptation or a new blessing even then you will be more eager to lift up your voice to the Lord and so that's what I want to try and accomplish this morning Um, let me just uh, pause now and just let's let's ask for God's help together God, thank you so much for uh, such a a precious gift as prayer that we get to come to you, pour out our hearts to you, tell you everything on our minds, uh, just confess to you what you already know and what we can sense acutely in a given moment. Uh, What a gift it is to know that you hear us and uh, love your children. Um, You're a father who is eager to hear, eager to care, eager to uh, open up your treasury of uh, mercies and kindnesses to us. And all we have to do is ask. Uh, I pray that as we look at your word and and what you're doing in prayer, that you would uh, be pleased to draw us near to yourself, make us better uh, prayers and uh, those who better intercede for one another, those who even lead others around us, uh, unbelievers, children, uh, spouses, that we can just help each other get to your throne of grace uh, by being those who fervently pray and Pray with joy and a willing heart and an informed mind and and who you are and what you do uh, in in and with our prayers. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So as we think about uh, how to get at what God is doing, I'll I'll get to um, our outline in a second. But just as a a bit of preliminary uh, ground to cover. As we think about prayer, even what Lori read in Colossians 4, uh, you read Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Lofty command and requirement from the Lord. So prayer is commanded. Why would God command prayer? And just as a baseline, a starting point, as we think about this, here's the first thing that I think it's helpful for us to understand about 
this all-important spiritual discipline. This is not for God. God does not require prayer for any benefit that he himself derives from it. Prayer does not benefit God. Prayer does not help God. Prayer does not inform God. It does not do anything positively to enhance or improve or add to all that God is. It's just not for him. Let me just give you a a couple uh, passages to just hang that thought on. What about Proverbs 9, verse 12? You know, prayer, like everything else, does not exist for God's benefit. Nothing that God created exists for his improvement or to help him or to do something for him that he can't do for himself. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? Proverbs 9, 12. Solomon reminds his son as he urges him to seek wisdom, paints a picture of the the benefits of wisdom, the detriment of folly in chapter 9. And he says this in the middle. If you are wise, son, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Any act of wisdom, any amount of wisdom that we lay hold of and put into practice is for us, not for God. God doesn't benefit from us acting wisely. And then just one more uh, a passage. You'll, you'll remember this, Romans 11. Quoting from uh, Job and other passages. Paul just asks this question as he bursts forth and prays, as he's marveling at what God is doing in the gospel, saving sinners, Jews and Greeks, all equally hopeless on their own. And as he considers all of these things, he is reminded of this principle in in Romans 11, verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor? Or, verse 35, who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things To him be the glory forever. Amen. That includes prayer. In prayer, you are not becoming the Lord's counselor, telling him things that he is unaware of, informing him of needs that he doesn't already know you have. Right? God knows those things, and yet we're still commanded to ask, to seek him in prayer. Even be devoted, as we already read, in prayer. In prayer, according to verse 35, you're not giving him something that he might be, uh, or that he might pay us back. Hey, I've made my request, now you owe me an answer, or something like that. You owe me a positive yes to what I've requested. God doesn't owe anybody just because they've prayed. He doesn't become our debtor in prayer. And so if God, who owns all things, everything that, even the the breath that we have to articulate a prayer, 
the inclination that we have in a moment to make our request known to the Lord, where does that come from? Ultimately, even that comes from him. So the moment we pray, we're only giving back to God something that he's first given to us. So God's not gaining anything from our prayers. So why then does prayer exist? If God's not the benefactor of prayer, then that just really leaves, I mean, you should think about the, you and the privacy of your own uh, prayer closet, as it were, and the privacy of your own heart making a prayer to God. He's not benefiting. That just leaves one person, one party involved in the practice of prayer to benefit, and that's us. We benefit in prayer, not God. So just think about that principle that God, and, and you can put every command in this category, God commands us to do something that can only benefit us. All of his commands are like that. Every single one. The command to not be anxious. The command to be content. The command to abstain from sexual immorality. Um, to withhold some form of pleasure. Even when God put checks on those things, it's for our benefit. Here's how Proverbs 3, 13 through 18 says it, as it paints the picture of a, or just describes the blessing of wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. This is not talking about God. He never had to find it. He's the owner of it. He is, as Paul says in Romans 16, 27, the only wise God. He owns wisdom. So this is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. The blessing is his. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. Verse 15, Proverbs 3. She is more precious than, gold, than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. Like a, the Beatitudes of the Old Testament. Now, this is the one who is blessed, the one who finds wisdom. If you lay hold of the wisdom of prayer then you are the one who is blessed. God is not the one who is blessed, who does not receive blessings from your prayers. Um, do you remember in, in passages of scripture uh, like Ephesians 1, 1 Peter 1, that those, those texts, those books really open after the greeting with a blessed be our God and Father, right? a blessing pronounced upon God. They're not adding blessing to God. They're not making God happier. They're not benefiting God. They are just declaring that God is blessed, infinitely so, already. So I'm just going to say it, right? In prayer, when we think about prayer, God only receives glory in the sense that he is uh, acknowledged for what he is. 
every time you've ever prayed, you've only intentionally or coincidentally acknowledged something that is true about God. And we'll talk about what some of those things are. But we haven't done anything for God in that sense. Here's what Arthur Pink says. Um, there's a, in, in his book, The Sovereignty of God, he's got a chapter on the sovereignty of God in prayer. It's one of my favorite uh, places to just go remind myself of the purpose of prayer. Excellent articulation of these things. Pink says, prayer redounds to, the, to God's glory. For in prayer, we do but acknowledge our dependency upon him. When we humbly supplicate the divine being, we cast ourselves upon his power and mercy. In seeking blessings from God, we own that he is the author and fountain of every good and perfect gift. That prayer brings glory to God is further seen from the fact that prayer calls faith into exercise and nothing from us is so honoring and pleasing to him as the confidence of our hearts. When we pray, God is glorified. He's not benefited. We're, we get the benefit. He gets the glory is the way it goes. So with that in mind, since we are the benefactors, the beneficiaries of praying, what I want to do is just consider what, how God is benefiting us when we pray. And to do that, I've got five qualities divinely produced with prayer. That's, our, that's where we're going in this lesson. Five qualities divinely produced with prayer. So when you pray and because you pray, these are five things that God is working in us. Five things he's accomplishing in us when we simply obey his command to pray the way he's told us to do it. So five qualities divinely produced with prayer. Number one, humility. Humility. If you know what God's after in this spiritual discipline, then, then go after the spiritual discipline. Pray. If you want to be more humble, pray. If you, want to, if you want to see God before your very eyes, humble you by increments, little bit at a time, day after day, then pray to him. Humility is one thing that he's seeking to accomplish. Go to First Chronicles chapter 29. We get an excellent example of how prayer humbles us before God. Anytime anyone has ever truly prayed, I'm not talking about just going through the motions or, you know, just by rote saying the same old things, mindless, you know, recitation of some words. But Actually, your mind, your heart are engaged. Even though, you know, you're distracted like me oftentimes and you think, oh, what else am I doing today? Or, you know, your mind wanders. Even with the imperfections included, a sincere 
attempt striving to pray well, that is always an act of humility. Every single time. Why? Because in prayer, you are acknowledging by the very fact that you are praying that you're not God. There is someone greater than me with more resources than I have. I am the one who is needy and he is the one who is giving to meet these needs. That's a humble act. That's a humble recognition. God's greater than me. I'm not God. Every time you pray. If, if that wasn't there, it wouldn't be prayer. If it's not there, it's not real prayer. Nobody who's self-sufficient needs to pray. So every true act of prayer is a humble act. Just look at David's acknowledgement in this as he prays, starting in verse 10 of First Chronicles chapter 29. He has made preparations for Solomon to build the temple. He's gotten everybody together, told them the plans. Here's what's going to happen when I'm no longer king. And verse 10 says, so David blessed Yahweh in the sight of all the assembly. He, again, this is another example like Paul, like Peter and the other apostles acknowledging who God is, declaring that he is great. He is blessing or uh, offering up adoration to the Lord. And here's what he says, verse 10. Blessed are you, O Yahweh, God of Israel, our father, forever and ever. I mean, this would be a great prayer to just study. Because just look at the theology that is pouring forth from David's heart. Acknowledging God's blessedness and not just a temporary little bit of blessedness that God possesses, that God is. But he says forever and ever. You are blessed eternally. David's got a big view of God. When he comes to pray, that's already informed by his big picture, big view theology. This is why you should study theology. It informs your prayers. If you can manage it, Read the Puritans. Deep, weighty, practical theology. If you can just get in a page a week amidst your busy schedule, uh, that'll even even that'll yield good fruit. He says in verse eleven, "Yours, O Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty." Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Yahweh, and you exalt yourself as head over all. David is seeking to exalt God, but he recognizes he's not doing something that God's not also doing. God exalts himself. God is aware of his own greatness. God lays claim to everything and all majesty he deems himself worthy of all praise. And so David's getting on board in his prayers. Both riches and honor, they come from you. And you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. 
and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Then he says, look at this, how he is humble before the Lord, not just by the fact that he's praying, but in his prayer, he is humbled. But who am I, verse 14, and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you and from your hand, we have given you. Isn't that interesting? He has compiled all the material that Solomon's going to use to build this big, beautiful, glorious building and acknowledges it beforehand from the outset. We're giving you what is yours. You're all your resources. You gave them to us and we're giving them back. That's that's a humble man. This is a humble prayer. I don't have claim to anything. I don't have any rights. He's already said, yours is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, everything in in the heavens and the earth. That's a humble prayer. And then he just goes on and on. More truth just spills forth uh, from David and just further demonstrates this principle of humility. Why does prayer exist? Prayer exists because God wants us to be humble. And so he requires us to pray. Even before we have what he desires us to have, oftentimes we have to first humble ourselves to ask. Don't you do this with your kids? Right? Um, our kids have, have this habit of just telling us what they want. Mom, I want a snack. And her response is usually, thanks for sharing. (laughs) Glad to know you you have a want, you have a desire. And that's the cue to, mom, may I please have? (laughs) Yeah, ask. I'd love to give it to you. But you need to ask. Because that's a sign of humility. The demand, mom, give me. Mom, I want. You know, ah, that's not so humble. So God is producing humility in his children by just requiring us to ask. He's already eager to give it, but he's eager to give it to a humble child, not a proud child. And so all he requires is that you ask. Isn't this what uh, James says in James 1? Just go there real quick. James chapter 1. Oh God, I, I need... I need wisdom. I don't know what to do. I lack clarity and insight. Help me. What does James remind us of in, in verse 5 of chapter 1? Listen, if if any of you lacks wisdom, anybody lack wisdom? <laughs> okay. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Let him ask of God who gives to all generously if you just humble yourself and just say god would you please give me (laughs) then you'll get more than you ask for why god's more generous than you are humble to ask (laughs) praise god 
his generosity is greater than our humility. That's good news. God is great in generosity. He is great in grace. He abounds, Scripture says, in steadfast love and faithfulness toward those who fear him. So if you just do the little work of asking, you know, you think, man, I don't pray enough. I don't have enough time. I, you know, maybe you just think, where am I going to get three hours to pray? And maybe you don't have three hours. That's okay. Do you have five minutes? Do you have two minutes? Do you have a moment? We don't pray for lack of time. We pray for lack of desire, lack of awareness, lack of wisdom to pray and ask for wisdom. Just ask. That's humble. Um, just, just be eager to abase yourself before God and acknowledge he is greater you are not self-sufficient, and that will yield tremendous fruit. So the first quality that he's producing is humility. Second, faith. Faith. Just continuing in James chapter 1. God gives generously without reproach. Verse 6 says, the one who is asking, he must ask in faith without doubting. Now, what is this about? Without doubting what? Um, that that new house that I can't afford, I'm going to have? Somehow, some way? I don't doubt it. Uh, is that what James is after? No. From the context, what is not to be doubted? Say again? That he gives generously. And what's being asked for in this context? Wisdom. Oh, okay. It's not just a carte blanche, you know, blank check. Why, why would, you know, ask anything? And you'll have it if you don't doubt. No, that's like prosperity gospel stuff. This is asking in accordance with the will of God. Does God want you to have wisdom? Yes. We have scriptures, consistent, repetitive affirmation. God wants you to be wise. He wants you to walk wisely. Oh, okay, I can pray for that. And I don't have to doubt. Why? Because I have God's own authority to tell me this is what he wants me to ask. So don't doubt. To doubt is to doubt God. To doubt his word. To doubt his truthfulness. To doubt that God wants to give you wisdom is to call God a liar in your heart. So don't doubt. Ask believing that he will and wants to give you wisdom. The one who doubts, James goes on to say, is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Okay, if you doubt, just you have your answer. No. Don't doubt. And so in this, we see that God is actually generating, producing faith through the very activity or practice of prayer. When you pray, what is God intending to produce in you? Faith. Faith. You have to come to God completely dependent on his character. 
just think of what things are actually like what God must be if he's going to answer your prayer. If God is going to answer a myriad of prayers that we pray, first, he's got to be generous. We've already seen that, right? He's got to be willing to give. So we're trusting when we ask of God that he's not stingy, he's a giver. He is eager to lavish good gifts on his children. So his, good, his, his uh, generosity we're believing in. Um, aren't you believing his love for you? If he doesn't love you, why would he answer your prayers? If he doesn't care for you, go search elsewhere for someone who cares for you, who's going to give you, right? Uh, Jesus said that in Matthew 6. Talking about prayer, um, or, or am I thinking of five? He doesn't give a fish when his children ask for stones. Even you who are evil know how to give good gifts, uh, Jesus says. Now I have to find it because I've said it. Thank you. Somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, 7, uh, 11. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? All right, so he's just drawing a comparison here. God God is eager to give good gifts. He'll, he won't give a stone when you ask for a fish or a scorpion. We ask for bread. He, he actually gives the good gifts sought. If it's in accordance with his will. So God has to be loving. A loving father. He's got to be sovereign. If he's going to give. He's got to be able to control people. Circumstances. Your own heart. Proverbs 21.1. The heart of the king is a channel of water. In the hand of the Lord. He directs it wherever he will. He's got to be in control of every heart. He's got to be sovereign over salvation. If you're going to pray for that, he's got to be in control. So he's got to be generous, loving, kind, sovereign, gracious, patient. He's got to be just. He's got to be wise. He has to be faithful. Right? That's all of all of that matters when you think about God producing faith in you through prayer. Because you're just dependent completely and entirely on God's character. If God is not who he says he is, prayer is worthless. Uh, Just think about how uh, in that praying at all is an act of, of prayer. You take a psalm like Psalm 88, where it's just all doom and gloom. Like the only psalm that doesn't, the plane never like pulls up into hope, you know. Uh, what use is that in our Bible? Well, he is still praying. <laughs> he is still praying. That's the hope of, of that song. Even in all of his despair, and that's all we get is that glimpse. 
Well, he's still praying. He's still seeking the Lord and making his, his heart known to God. So there's hope. Uh, he still believes God is who he says he is. And you can write down Psalm 14. Just the reason Psalm 14 is helpful is because it tells us what kind of person doesn't pray. It's someone who's a, a practical atheist. It's the fool who said in his heart, there is no God. Because that's how the psalm opens. And he goes on in verse 4 and says, they do not call upon the Lord. Yikes. The kind of person who doesn't call upon the Lord is the one who doesn't believe God exists. Or believes God doesn't exist. Everybody knows God exists. The one who doesn't pray to him, who doesn't cry out to him, likes to pretend that he doesn't. Don't be a practical atheist. <laughs> the third quality, <clears throat> in addition to humility and faith, the third quality divinely produced with prayer is love. Love. Love for God love for people. God produces these things in our prayers. Uh, first, just take the first thing, the, the leading great command is love for God. <clears throat> How does God produce this? Psalm 116 verse 1 tells us this is the case. Here the psalmist writes, in Psalm 116, verse 1. I love Yahweh. And then he gives a reason why he loves Yahweh. Because he hears my voice and my supplications. First reason on the psalmist's mind at this time. God hears me. God is so great. And even great in his own humility, that he condescends to listen to my concerns. How could you not love that God? With all authority, all power, all creative ability in his hand, he holds life and breath and everything at his disposal. And he listens to little old me. Anything I bring to him. He's never distracted. He's never taken up with other things more important. He listens to my prayers as the most important person on earth or who's ever lived. He hears us equally well. That means we're also dependent on what attribute of God, by the way. If he's going to hear everybody simultaneously, equally well, he must be what? Omnipresent, omniscient, the, the breadth of God's mind to process that much data, information simultaneously. And by the way, I mean, a, a part of God's omnipresence, I do believe it is... Uh, Omnitemporality, you know, being in 
not just every place, but every win at the same time. All of time is like a single moment to God. And so every prayer that was ever prayed, he's equally aware of that right now as he is of prayers being prayed currently and every prayer that will be prayed on into eternity equally mindful of all of those things now in a moment what so pray I, I can not love a God that makes himself that available that has that kind of power that kind of capacity to hear you why would you not tell him every need you ever have the moment you feel it. So he's producing greater love for himself in us in the practice of prayer. And even for other people. First uh, Timothy 2 is a great section uh, of scripture that Paul just at length articulates this theology of prayer for others. And he calls this of like a almost of first importance, you know, as the church is in this battle for souls, that people would be saved, sanctified, sustained in their faith. He says, Hey, here's your first weapon in that fight. First of all, first Timothy two one, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, that is all kinds of men, specifically, namely Verse 2, for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Again, it's good, it's acceptable that we pray these kinds of prayers. But this is specifically for these men, kings, those who are in authority, not just the ones who uh, write policies you like, institute laws that benefit you, but even unjust rulers. When a Christian is humble, trusting God, not putting his hope and faith in earthly rulers, then this is pleasing to God. Verse 4 says he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And then he goes in to, to the gospel. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. Again, he keeps using this, this word, all men, all men, all men. This is indiscriminate, indiscriminate of kinds of people. It's not just for women, not just for men, not just for uh, certain ethnicities, not just for tall people or short people. I mean, this is all kinds of, of people. That's the ones that Jesus was a ransom for. This was the testimony at the proper time. Paul was appointed a preacher and an apostle of that truth. He taught these things. And so as we humble ourselves, believing God to pray, um, he's instructing us to pray for people, even the salvation of uh, unjust, wicked rulers. That's an act of love. When you pray for your children, you pray for your husbands, you pray for uh, your friends and family members, that's an act of love. And as you consistently do that, as you practice that, you're practicing biblical love.
couple other things to mention. Uh, fourth and fifth reasons uh, or qualities that God is producing with prayer is wisdom. We've already seen this, right? In James 1, God is producing wisdom. Man, it's so convicting as I thought about this to just think um, wisdom that I lack, I don't have because I haven't asked. Man, uh, even, you know, thank you, Lori, for mentioning the, the Gilbert and New Orleans church plants. As I'm just trying to be careful to plan and raise support and articulate what we're doing on paper, uh, I just lack wisdom. Very clear to me. To be reminded that I lack wisdom because I haven't asked for it and diligently sought it enough, ouch. So just ask. Proverbs 2, another, um, I mean, as you know, I'm, I'm always going to Proverbs 2. I mean, Proverbs 2 puts this in front of us. The This is the way to actually obtain wisdom. First, first few verses. If you receive my words, verse 1, and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Great, good, got that. Verse 3, yes. It's a, a way of emphatically saying again, yeah, even this. If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then it's yours. Verse 5 says, Then you will understand the fear of Yahweh and find the knowledge of God. Your search will not be in vain. But that calling out for it, it's a, a, a desperate outcry. <laughs> what does it look like for you to be desperate to have God's wisdom? As you think about your own prayer life, your own pleadings with God for wisdom, what is, how does that look for you? To be in, a, in, in your de most desperate moments, to plead with the Lord to give you wisdom. We should be familiar with that posture of desperation to raise your voice for understanding. You know, as I think even about the people in your, your home, and my home, would your kids say, man, one thing dad always prayed for, or one thing mom always prayed for was wisdom. <laughs> that should mark us. So God is eager to give wisdom. Even if you look at verse 7, what is he doing? He's storing up sound wisdom for the upright. God's got storehouses of wisdom. He has no lack of wisdom. And he has stored it up, as it were. This is the, the same word, that word store up, used in uh, verse 1, treasure up. 
the same word. God's treasured up as just as we're told to treasure up wisdom. Well, he's treasured it up for us, just ready to dispense it in abundant supply as we need it. So we can have as much as we want, as much as we ask for. You can have as much wisdom as you ask for and submit to. If you ask for it in sincerity, intending to submit to it, it's yours. And then finally, the, a, a fifth quality that God intends to produce with prayer is purity. Purity or personal holiness. And this is not only an external issue, right? You know this. Titus 2, in that list of qualities that Paul specifically desires for women on the island of Crete, purity is in that list. God wants the women in his church to be pure, as well as the men. But he wants the women to be pure. How do you have it? Pray for it. This is not only an external purity, you understand, but this is uh, from the inside out. This is at the heart level, at the level of your intentions and your thoughts and your desires and your motives. Just to, to see this quickly, just go back to the book of James. James says a lot about prayer. James chapter 4. James gets at the motives, the heart level when he talks about prayer. So he talks about why they don't have what they sometimes do ask for when they do ask for it. It's because they have impure motives. Verse 1, James 4. What is, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? So from chapter 1, they're not asking for wisdom. From chapter 3... They are, they're not asking for wisdom, don't have it. They're selfishly ambitious and jealous. All that produces quarrels and conflicts. Verse 2, he says, You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And look at the, this. You do not have because you do not ask. Okay, you haven't asked for it. You could have it if you would just ask, but you don't, so you don't have it. But then, verse 3, even when you do ask, you don't receive it because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Wow. And your prayers just don't work because you pray selfishly, because you Pray with greed in mind. You're not thinking about God's glory or the good of others. So in real biblical prayers, this reminds us that one thing that God is doing is purifying the motives of his people. 
Because if you're going to get those prayers answered, if you're going to ask in a godly way, if you're going to ask consistently with God's will, you got to ask on God's terms. You, you have to ask for the reasons that God tells you to ask. This is often convicting when I think about uh, praying for the salvation of my children. I just ask myself, and, and Emily and I talk about this, why do we want God to save our children? Is it because we idolize our children and just love them supremely? Or do we so love the glory of God that we want his mercy to be demonstrated through saving them? That's a better motive, right? There's no way I can know this, so I can just ask the question hypothetically for my own heart's sake, okay? I could never know this. You could never know this about anybody else. But what if, it could be asked, what if God would get the most glory by making your child a vessel of wrath? Would you, with great grief, be able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord? God is good. He should do whatever he wills with, what, with what's his, including my children. I hope that that's what I would say. Uh, one day that'll be revealed, whether he's made them a vessel of mercy or a vessel of wrath. And because my heart will be perfect then, I will say blessed be the name of the Lord. But on this side of heaven, just to check my own motives, to say, God, I want you to be glorified. And so I'm going to pray in this way. Save my children for your glory. Show how powerful and gracious you are to sinners by saving even them. That's how I want to pray. Right motives. And all. And then one more, one more passage. Uh, at the motive level, God is producing purity with prayer. And at the level of the deeds. Just flip back a, a few pages in your Bible to Hebrews 4. God wants us to come to him for the sake of holiness. That's, that's really what's, what's in this statement that the author makes in Hebrews 4, 14. He wants us to endure and see this ultimate salvation to uh, progress in this sanctification that eventually terminates at eternal life to come. And we, we've got the perfect, perfect high priest to, to see us through, to get us there. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet he was without sin. Jesus knows what it's like to falter, or to, to be tempted, rather, to falter. He knows what it's like to be faced with the option to give up 
to abandoning the mission to stop following his father to the very end he was faced with that temptation and so in a moment when you're tempted to do that very thing to cast off God's authority and go live the way you want to live Jesus knows what it's like to be there to be faced with that temptation he is our high priest he can sympathize but he endured so verse 16 says this therefore let us draw near with confidence right confidence not doubting let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need so god produces sanctification holiness uh an increasing purity of life as we just by faith remind ourselves what's true in a moment of temptation God, I'm struggling to believe you, to agree with you that that command is a good idea, right? To trust my husband as he's leading us in some way I don't think is best, and that's hard. Well, in that moment of temptation, this is instructive. With confidence, you can draw near to the throne of grace, <clears throat> and you can find the help that God has for you. Might not change your husband. Right, But to endure with grace, to not sin in the midst of that temptation, to faithfully submit to your husband and do him good in the midst of your uncertainty about his decisions, like God can give you that grace. He can strengthen you. And as we've said before, he's, he's eager, as we've seen, to to give that wisdom, to give that strength when we need it. So these five qualities, they're divinely produced. We cannot do them on our own. But the means that God has determined, as surely as he has determined to produce these, thing in, these things in us, these qualities, he's also determined the means by which he's going to produce this sanctification in us. One of those means is prayer. So if you know what God is after, and you could add your own qualities to this list. I'm sure you, you have plenty in addition to these things. Courage, joy, encouragement, endurance. Go after prayer because you know what he's producing. Yeah, you guys have any questions as we close? Yeah, there's a there's a couple ways that you know, <clears throat> um, three at least. One, God hears everything. He's infinite in knowledge, uh, great in understanding. His understanding or wisdom is unfathomable. Uh, Psalm one twenty seven tells us. And so, just theologically, God hears everything. He knows everything because He's omniscient. That's one way you know He hears your prayers. Another way you know he hears your prayers is because he commands it, right? So he entreats us to actually come to him and to pray. If, uh, if he wasn't listening, the command would be pointless. So unless he's deceiving us, 
and he's hearing our prayers by commanding it. Um, and the other, the other way we know is because he actually tells us that he hears the prayers of the righteous. Right? You have uh, various verses in scripture that just say that, that he hears us. Right? Uh, we looked at one in Psalm 116. He hears my prayers and my supplications. So if we trust scripture, then we know from all of those different evidences, from all of the different angles that, that he hears us. Is that helpful? Yeah, that's... Thank you. Uh, how does sin affect God's hearing of our prayers? What comes to mind right away is 1 Peter 3, 7. Live with your wife in an understanding way, in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Um, if I'm not living knowledgeably with my wife, being mindful of her needs, considerate of her, caring for her, then yeah, my prayers are, are restricted in a way. Doesn't mean God isn't aware of them. But in the sense of favorably hearing them, that's not happening. Uh, so it's a, another way to think of it, <clears throat> even from uh, Proverbs 2, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Ah, there's a, there's a caveat. He stores up sound wisdom not for any and everybody, but for the upright, those who are uh, living with integrity. So sin, not only does it prevent you from praying right but it actually affects what you pray and God's disposition toward you if you're harboring secret sin um, just think about this practically if you say oh God just help me grow in wisdom but the wisdom you already are aware of and already have you've decided not to submit to it and what do you want from God? I mean, I've already given you what I've given you, and you're not you're you're you've decided you don't like that. It's sort of like the the elders of Israel came to Ezekiel and said, "Hey, we want we, we want to hear a word from the Lord." And they have their questions, and Ezekiel listens and then says, "Here's what God says: Go get rid of your idols." Did you not know to do that first? I mean, you, you've got plenty to obey. Go do that, and then we'll talk. So yeah, sin, sin held on to affects God's disposition toward us. Yeah, um, the, the question is, if God doesn't benefit, then how is uh, he affected by our prayers, essentially, in that way? Um, even in that, we're still the beneficiaries, right? If God turns and has a favorable disposition toward us, um, and, and favorably hears our prayers. That's only to our benefit. He still isn't the gainer in that equation. The other, the other piece of that, just uh, 
theologically, um, like what does prayer do, quote unquote, to God? Well, nothing ultimately. <laughs> but the same God who is sovereign over all of human history, who has determined the end as well as the means by which he's going to accomplish them, Exodus 32, right? I'm going to destroy the people for building this idol. Uh, did God purpose to destroy the people? Or did he not? Because he never did it. Well, the answer is yes. In time, he did purpose to destroy the people. And he sovereignly decreed that Moses was going to intercede for the people. And that was going to be the means by which that prayer he was going to relent from the destruction that he had determined. If that just confounds you, then welcome to the club, you know. Uh, that's God. He can sovereignly determine that in time he's going to purpose something and then change his mind. And scripture uses that language. Uh, Nineveh with Jonah's preaching was the same thing. 40 days, this place is done. And then God changed his mind and was merciful. And, you know, as baffling as that is, no sinner ever complains yeah. <laughs> about it, right? God chooses to instead change his disposition and be merciful toward me. I might not be able to work that out in my finite mind, but I'm thankful for it. So, did you have a question? Yeah, I was just thinking about um, with our children and teaching them Yeah. Is it fruitful if I mean like does God hear those prayers? I don't know how to think through that if they're not saved. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, God abhors the prayers of the wicked. Does that include my my children? Some of them. No, she's kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a there's a, a a truth that the unbeliever so long as he persists in his unbelief um, the prayers just differ because the heart from which they proceed is different right? it's not a regenerate heart it's not uh, a truly believing heart uh, when you think about children in particular who don't have all the responsibilities of an adult don't have uh, the same even awareness or ability to process things as adults, and, and on some level they got they don't have none, but they're just not adults. Uh, in your home, what is what does God tell us to do with children? Well, we're supposed to be instructing. You know, Deuteronomy six sort of lays out this uh, succinct description of what parents are supposed to be instructing with their children, even uh, Ephesians 6, to train them up uh, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord uh, includes prayer, to teach them how to pray. Uh, J.C. Ryle's got a great section in uh, Practical Religion on prayer, just one chapter, but he talks about how no one's ever been saved apart from prayer. So you don't teach your children the value of prayer, how to pray, that they should pray. You expect them one day to suddenly pray 
and call upon the Lord? Well, maybe you got to work that way. Far better to teach them how uh, so that they're acquainted with the practice. They know who God is, how to call out to him. And that doesn't mean you do it for them either, right? Um, to urge your children, uh, pray and do that believing these things about God. And in a moment, are they doing that? I don't know. I can't control them. I can't control their hearts in that way. While they're praying, maybe I'm praying that they're praying from a believing heart. <laughs> but teaching them to pray is good. 